Hello and welcome to Dream Space from Factory International with me, Gemma Kearney. I am massively a dreamer, though I try to be realistic about what we can actually do in the real world with the help of our imagination. I feel like when we harness that power, when we dream in weird and wonderful ways, amazing things can actually be created, which is why it is such a privilege to speak to some of the most innovative, most unbelievable and dynamic thinkers that there are for this podcast. In every episode of Dream Space, we invite a special guest to take over our minds and our imaginations to create their ultimate dream space. It can be anything from their favourite foods and guilty pleasures to music and art that inspires them the most. Come join us as we attempt to push boundaries of what is possible and create new visions together. Asking the question, what kind of art does the world need right now? Inventing tomorrow together. Today we are dreaming with award-winning artist and designer S. Devlin. If you were lucky enough to bag tickets to Beyonce's Renaissance tour, seen footage of Billie Eilish performing on an on-stage forest, or tuned into the weekend's 2021 Super Bowl halftime show, then you've seen S. Devlin's work. One of the most acclaimed set designers on the planet, S. is known for creating entire worlds through her stage installations for music and theatre pushing the boundaries of her discipline and making an art form of set design. An artist in her own right, her immersive sculptural work has been installed at the Tate Modern Gardens, COP26 and Super Blue Miami, and her practice was the subject of the Netflix documentary series Abstract, The Art of Design. For Factory International, S is bringing her vision and staging to Free Your Mind, a world-first premiere and official opening show of Aviva Studios, which recreates the classic sci-fi film, The Matrix, as a mind-altering live show. This is S. Devlin's Dream Space. Oh, listen, I'm so happy to be here. Um, I'm already excited about what's going to unfold as we start to talk. So what do I feel as an initial response whilst I'm here? Is there a particular temperature or, or smell? What are my senses doing as I arrive? This dream is populated by more than human species. It's inspired by some dreams that I started to have in 2022, I had been drawing 243 of the most endangered species that call London home, endangered Londoners that aren't human. And towards the end of the project, I was under pressure and I would work sometimes 18 hours a day drawing the veins on the wings of bats, on the leaves of weeds, the veins that go through moths' wings... And I started in this slightly hallucinogenic state to, slightly sleep-deprived, make a connection between the veins on my hand and the veins within a leaf and the scales on my skin and the scales on a lizard's skin. And I began to dream about animals. It almost made me grieve and cry to realise that I hadn't normally been dreaming about animals, that they simply didn't, until that point, 
feature largely enough on my horizon to populate my dreams. So in this world, this is going to be a population of more than human species, of 60 types of moth, of 120 types of butterfly, of 592 types of bird. And it's going to be a world in which there's a shared language. As humans, we know the names of our more than human neighbours. And it's something that I learned working with the London Wildlife Trust. And the CEO, Matthew Frith, said to me, we can conserve habitats and engage with planning regulations, but what we need artists to do is to make a space, make a habitat for the more than human species within the human imagination. And every time you learn the name of a species, you make a room for it in the memory palace of your mind. Oh, wow. Um, what a beautiful image. And I'm particularly interested in the the mixture of, of animals and, and species that you're blending. For example, um, I'm very much um, a hippie that is drawn to butterflies and and kind of colourful, whimsical imagery. But there is a slight gothic element to the imagery that, that you've discussed so far. It's really interesting that you use that word. I read a book called Chaos by James Gleich when I was about 23. And it had been written in 1987, but I didn't discover it till a little later. And he describes the fractal nature of repeating patterns. And actually he identifies Gothic architecture as having a lot of similarity with fractal patterns in nature. And that's perhaps one of the reasons that we're drawn to ornament that is similar at different scales. And this feeling I was describing to you of similarity between the bifurcating veins within my own body and the bifurcating branches on a tree is something that you feel, but you need your attention drawn to it. And I think in this dream space, there would be a quality of interbeing that the way that you perceive your lungs would be more clearly as a pair of trees within you and that you'd feel a sense of continuity from the dividing structures that run throughout your own body into those same dividing structures that run through so many other living things and actually of course the maths that governs when these things divide and bifurcate is exactly the same whether it's happening in your body or whether it's happening in a tree or in a mouse or in a snake and we are living I think in a moment that's a kind of detour from knowing that uh, Joanna Macy has written a very beautiful book called world as lover world as self she says now we can relinquish our separation we can come home again to our mutual belonging and this dreamscape would be a place where that has happened where we've come home to a sense of mutual belonging and home being something that's embodied is that a positive space is it a beautiful space like is it where our heart is is it where we seek comfort and solace and 
What are the emotions that we feel as we return to this really unique dream space that you describe? I think the sense in this place would be profoundly of being at home and continuous. It would be immensely contrasting to the fragmentation that I often feel in my daily life. A fragmentation that's really been imposed, I guess, by mass industrial systems of measuring, systems that prioritise the metric over the quality, the numbering of things, the counting of things, the efficiency of things over the meaning of things. And I think with the rapid advance of AI, large language models and quantum computing, which will absolutely rocket fuel the large language models in terms of speed, I think we're about to feel a huge shift. There's a book I just read by Mustafa Suleiman, one of the co-founders of DeepMind. It's called The Coming Wave, and it really describes this tsunami of shift that's about to be upon us, like nothing we've ever experienced, way more than the invention of the internet or the invention of the smartphone, this fusion of very high-speed quantum computing with very powerful large language models. And I think it's going to question meaning. And the more people I meet at the moment that are really questioning and seeking meaning escalates every day. Um, so I think in this dream space, the priority would be a sense of meaning and rootedness to place. Because I think the other shift I feel is a sense of unplacedness. I often feel that I'm in my digital realm and that my mind is not moored and rooted to my feet, which are not moored and rooted to the earth. So it's feeling pretty supernatural. I'm feeling that we are perhaps as an audience or a spectator or an invitee into this dream space, physically inhabiting this idea, like, are we connecting ourselves in some way? Like, am I actually putting anything on my skin? Every piece of theatre we make, and I've been making bits of theatre since I was in my 20s, um, so for 30 years. In each case, it's a rehearsal. I believe that an audience is a rehearsal community, a temporary society. And we all agree to sit together or stand together in the dark, to sing together, to be proximate, to be close, to breathe the same air, to be moved by the same pieces of music, sound, sense, smell, light. And I think this would be a continuation of that practice, that a number of people, ideally around 8 billion, as in everyone, would be gathered together in this space and all sense the continuity of information and life and meaning between all of them. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? And how you do it physically, I guess, would be with the extraordinary tools we already have. Uh, we have already these amazing powers of uh, intuition, sense, scent, smell, vision, hearing, and we use, I guess, a fraction of them. 
I read something lately that really moved me about the evolution of the human mind. When life evolved, you know, 3.8 billion years ago, whenever it was, the first single cell creatures communicated to each other via electrical pulses. And when those single cells started to coalesce to form more complicated multi-cell beings of which we eventually evolved, those same pulses that used to be used to communicate to each other for, between two individuals now continue to communicate with each other across our synapses in our minds. So we are already these communities of microbial life, multicellular life that we carry around with us. There are 10,000 species within each human body, and we are already communities. Making use of all those senses that we already have, those are the most powerful tools, and in this space they would all be brought sharply into use. What about our devices? Are they a tool or are they are they friend or foe in this in this dream? They don't exist. In this world there are no devices. There is a collaboration between humans, more than humans, animal species, bird species, insect species, and the algorithms that humans have been midwife to, I guess. And those algorithms are present, but instead of being seen as fearful other, the algorithms are seen as continuations of the intelligence of life that is already more than human. So it's a dethroning of humans as the sovereign in uh, planetary intelligence. And it's a humility of humans recognizing that there was already superhuman intelligence in every aspect of the biosphere around them. And the algorithms that have been brought into being through human evolution are a continuation of the intelligence that's already surrounding us. A fusion between indigenous wisdom, indigenous intelligence, and algorithmic intelligence as well. Not calling it artificial anymore. Recognizing that it's really a continuation of the composition of cell structures. So from single cell creatures to multi-cell creatures like ourselves and from individual creatures that we have believed we are to a fusion of every being on the planet through the use of and through the techniques and tools of uh, what we currently call AI. So that's present, but the devices that we currently use, the phones, the small squares of LED pixels, liquid crystal display, the unfolding pieces of metal that we hulk around. I just carried one up on the train from London this morning. Those pieces now look to us like things we might see displayed next to Flintstones in a museum. They are all husks that we've shed on the way to this great connection and reunion. Aesthetically, are there any particular colours or, or textures that are identifiable, whether it's going back to some of the more like animal kingdom or reptilian <laughs> aspects? Like, what does it like look or move like? Can we recognize it in any way? 
I think it's going to be incredibly beautiful. We're going to use different forms of seeing in which to perceive it. Um, we're going to learn to look through the eyes of more than human lenses. We're going to learn through the use of AI how to view through the lens of a bee or a moth or a bear or a wolf or an amoeba and we can understand the richness of range of perception available in life just like when Edward Pfeffer invented the first time-lapse photography in the end of the 19th century until that point humans had never understood plants as really animate but when they saw time-lapse photography of a flower opening or roots on a tree growing, they understood the connection between a snake, a worm and a root and they understood that plants are as animate as any other living being and actually it's all a matter of scale. If you watch time-lapse photography of sand dunes moving or of arterial river formations moving across the desert they look like snakes moving across the desert it's just measured in eons and millennia rather than milliseconds that ability of humans to get beyond our own limited bandwidth of scale and lens um, will lead to waves of seeing the space in ways that will make our current ways of seeing feel really like a outline of a black and white drawing for example you might perceive this cathedral of species i'm thinking of the extraordinary alhambra palaces the nazarid palaces that were built in the 15th century in the alhambra in granada and andalusia in southern spain they were carved on carved on carved the most baroque layered splendid and they would have been originally covered in patina of colour, vivid blues, golds, reds, like the temples in Mamalapuram in Tamil Nadu in eastern India now. But while the temples in India have been repainted every year and kept their vivid colour, the ones, as we know, in Greece and so much of antiquity and also in the Alhambra have gradually faded and the beauty of the faded colour is we just perceive the form. So I think in this world, you'd have moments where everything is just form, because that way you can see the continuity of form from a feather to a leaf to a scale to a beetle's wing, and you perceive it all as carved alabaster, white on white on white. Then you might see it all vividly coloured in with every single myriad iridescent colour refracting through every different texture I think the, the way of seeing would be something that we've never experienced before Are there any sounds can we hear as well as see this almost multi-dimensional visual through a completely new lens to everyone else on the whole planet <laughs> have we got any sounds to help us through? We are in choral paradise in this place. We are how you feel when you hear the most beautiful layered human voices singing in harmony and the harmonics that 
resonate are mathematically, geometrically selected to resonate within every sinew of every human and more than human body. This entire congregation of eight billion humans and infinity of billion of microbial creatures within each human plus all the species are all resonating like one continuous musical instrument with these harmonies. And these are voices that are a combination of the human and the more than human. And just as we are proven to feel a specific form of oxytocin rush, the chemical oxytocin in our bodies are given off when we sing um, with others. And of course, oxytocin makes us behave in a more compassionate way. It's the chemical that's brought on by breastfeeding mothers, by creativity, by orgasm. That same chemical is brought on by choral singing and also by certain pitches of birdsong. There's a very specific frequency of birdsong that calms your mind, that is almost like mental acupuncture, unties knots in your brain. So those frequencies of birdsong, but also just as with the visual uh, range of sensitivity, our range of ability to listen to the more than human world of sound will be vastly expanded. We'll be able to hear the voices of whales, of starfish, of corals. We'll be able to hear the noise that mountains make because, again, we'll be listening at a frequency of time that we don't normally engage in way beyond our own normal um, register and bandwidth of time. So we'll hear the movement of mountains and we'll understand that mountains are animate and rivers are animate and the sky is animate and grass is animate. And there is no distinction between what is animate and what is um, mineral. The idea of animal and vegetable and mineral will be superseded by an idea of continuous interbeing because we'll understand that we've only been perceiving things through a keyhole of bandwidth. And now we'll be able to expand and hear a myriad sounds, choral sounds overlapping from every species. Silence is another mode of this world. I think there are phases of it where the humans, at least, are entirely silent for weeks on end. Absolutely silent. The humans go through phases of singing and speaking, and then they go through phases of being completely silent and just resonating the sounds of everything else and absorbing and observing and internalizing the world around them into their own mini worlds of their minds. Um, so there's also a, a great deal of profound silence from the humans. Would it be fair to describe this dream space as a huge multi-experience of change? Because it feels so different to anything that's been experienced before. Does it change us? I think so. I think um, I think this space that I'm describing is already there. And I think it's happening all around us, but we are going around with space helmets on, small holes, and only perceiving glimpses of it. So I think the task is not to build this world, but to deconstruct the space helmets that are stuck onto each of our sad little heads. <laughs> Let's imagine this world that I've described 
is there. We don't have to build it. We don't have to manufacture it. We don't have to get up ladders. We don't have to paint anything. We don't have to carve anything. We don't have to make anything. Sculpt, we don't have to program. We don't have to plug anything in. No power is needed. It's all there. Our task is very manageable because it's for each one of us to put our hands up around our head and imagine that we're feeling a big circular globe stuck on our head and to find out where we see the apertures in that globe, where we can actually perceive this world we've been describing that's already there and how do we day by day break open a little bit more of a window through to that world and the things that we'd be dismantling are primarily this story that we've been telling ourselves for I guess 12,000 years really maybe longer of separation the idea that you could exist on your own that you are an individual the idea that me as a person who grew up in the 1970s and 80s was inculcated into me by daily invocations of Margaret Thatcher's mantra, there is no such thing as society, only the individual. And of course, what we know now is there's no such thing as the individual, only the biosphere. And if you've been told that story, as most of us have in certain in Western civilization, for the whole of your life, uh, and as a story-dwelling creature, because that's where we really live, isn't it, is in stories, if we've been telling ourselves or listening to that story for our every day of our breathing existence, then that's what the helmet around the head is made of. Each day, rewriting a piece of that story to be clear glass or even air, rather than a blacked out window. And that includes the dismantling of fear, fear of being alone, fear of being other, then that's that's really the the task at hand I think to to build this world I really like this place <laughs> <laughs> it's already there I know <laughs> I like it does it take a long time does time exist because this is so big in a way I'm I'm wondering whether we can schedule in on some time to go and seek it as with the sound aspect of things and the visual aspect, what we've talked about is the awakening of human perception beyond its borders, currently self-imposed borders. So I think that would also apply to the perception of time. And we know that our own linear construct of time is exactly that, a construct, a piece of artifice. And a more enjoyable way to be able to perceive time might be more spiralling and circular rather than linear. It's hard for us to describe that because we're so inculcated and entangled in the systems of perceiving the story of linear time that we've grown up with. So that will take a lot of practice to start to perceive space-time as being a connected thing and that we don't move through time and through space but that time and space are one connected entity which we are continuous with that's how we'll begin to perceive time we're with every single human we are sensing the sensation that one feels 
when you really get to the core of humility, group sound, almost a divine choral experience that connects us to so many different dimensions and complexities. I love it. I absolutely love it. I feel really dreamy and woozy on it. (laughs) Do we need to wear anything in particular when we arrive? Are we lying down? How do we physically, I'm going to ask again, experience this? Like, how do we need to prepare for it? What the humans are wearing is nothing, just like the animals. There's no clothes involved. There is no shame There's no sense of having to hide anything. The humans are dressed like the birds are dressed, like the snakes are dressed, like the insects are dressed. And the temperature is absolutely conducive to not needing to tighten or hide or hunker down or shelter. The shelter is there all around you. What about food? Do we ingest or digest any particular tastes? There's a realm of land, and it's this extraordinary planet that when you plant a seed in the ground, it grows. Animals, humans are able to eat what grows in the ground. And it's extraordinarily similar to this remarkable place we live on, (laughs) where with the energy of the sun there's enough to fuel every single body through the processes that are to do with photosynthesis and nitrogen and growth. We're all involved in the farming of the land and we eat um, what grows in the earth from the energy of the sun. Those same processes of things that grew in the land can be turned into threads, into shelters, into clothing, So art, ornament, all of those things can happen as they do. The difference between what I'm describing and how we live is an attitude of abundance rather than scarcity and a redefinition of the meaning of wealth and an understanding that what is already here is infinite wealth and infinite abundance and that the systems we currently live by impose a construct of scarcity and therefore hoarding and inequality that leads to so many of the structures that are now clustered around each of our heads making us unable to see the abundance that's actually there. I am ready to float in this dream (laughs) and meditate on all of the visuals that you've conjured with such an exquisite use of language I think some death metal would cheer it up a bit don't you (laughs) (laughs) we need a a counterpoint The type of world that I've been describing with you today, the type of vocabulary I've been using, even five, seven, eight, ten years ago, would have felt completely eccentric or esoteric. But actually, the more and more rooms I walk in, 
as each year passes, I meet more and more people who are looking to tell this type of story, who are understanding a story of connection rather than separation. This reworking of how we perceive things in our mind is a fundamental step towards all the other steps of behavioral shift and cognitive shift that are going to be ever more urgently needed. And I guess what's, for me, very hopeful or very encouraging, and what we remember is things take a very long time to happen very fast. And if we remember in our own lifetimes the falling of the Berlin Wall, it was never going to fall, it was never going to fall, it was never going to fall, except, oh shit, it just fell. I sense that now at 50, with having sort of got a sense of how these critical tipping points happen. You only need a certain percentage, I think it's 20% of a population, to all get behind something for that wall to come down. I think this combination of arising awareness on a species level and these new tools of quantum computing and AI, there is a chance for them to converge and for a new type of consciousness to evolve. That's entirely possible. Equally, the death metal sound might just drown the whole thing out. So we're at quite a point of inflection. I'm Gemma Kearney and you've been listening to Dream Space from Factory International. Today you heard S's vision and you can join us again next time for another dive into a new guest dream space. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. Your support always makes the world of difference. And if you can't wait until the next episode, then you can head to Factory International's website to find more exciting artistic content on Factory Plus. And if you've missed any of our earlier episodes, then you can find them there too. See you next time. Dream Space was hosted by me, Gemma Kearney, and today's episode was produced by May Lee Evans. This series was also produced by Katie Callan and Tess Davidson, with sound design by Femi Oriogan Williams and theme music by Carmel Snickersgill. The executive producer is Dan Jackson, and it is a reduced listening production for Factory International, curated by Scott Smith and Alex Mannion-Jones. <laughs>